The many meanderings of the first Gen X man. Excellent. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you, fake audience. Thank you so much. And thank you. Thank you all for bringing your fake dogs. Yes, I love you. Yes, I do. Here's some fake treats. Good girl. Good boy. Good boy. Good boy. Good girl. Good boy. Good boy. Good boy. Good girl. Good girl. Good boy. Good. All right. Everybody's good. You're all good dogs. Okay. Hello and welcome to season two, episode one of the many meanderings of the first Gen X man. I am once again, your host and main meandering man, Will Boudreaux. It's hard to believe that all this meandering began nearly a year ago on May 11th, 2020. Little did we know what kind of a year was in store for all of us. I'm going to go ahead and cue the train wreck sound effect. No, no, that sounds more like a dumpster fire, which, which 2020 was, but, but I, I was looking more for a train wreck. Nope, that was falling off a cliff in a cartoon, which we all did in 2020, but I was really, I was really kind of thinking train wreck. Close, close, that, that sounded like a car crash, but I was thinking more the bigger disaster of a train wreck. There we go. But we made it. I'd like to start by belatedly congratulating all of us for surviving 2020. I'm really looking forward to the movie, The Year 2020, coming soon to Amazon Prime Video. In a world where one year seems to last like two or two and a half years, actually, maybe three. In a world where one year seems to last like a good three years, one man will be called upon. Actually, every single person on the planet will be kind of forced to find strength they never knew they had. And also, to find something far more important. Where is all the toilet paper? Anyway, 2020 did not destroy me. I am back with an all-new season of Meanderings, and I'm kicking off this season with an episode devoted entirely to... Dogs. That's right, dogs. I'm sure that those of us who have dogs will attest to the fact that our perpetually friendly four-legged friends definitely helped us get through this last year. Do you think they noticed that we were always home? Do you think it messed up their dog schedules at all? Oh, so nobody's leaving again today. I see. You are really, really cramping my style. I can't hop on the couch as soon as the door closes. I can't drag my butt across that really nice living room carpet. Ooh, I love a plush wool pile rug on my nether regions. And... I have to listen to all of you on Zooms all day. And you're going to want to pat me. Incessantly. Yeah, I know I'm a good boy. Go to work, please. 
I'll be over here taking my one millionth nap. Okay, so, dogs. Speaking of dogs that I have not known, there's a story about my dad and his childhood dog, Trixie, who was a white spitz. My dad was about 12 years old when he secretly ordered a puppy from a classified ad in the back of Boy's Life magazine. You know, the magazine for Boy Scouts. Apparently, you could do that kind of thing back then, in what would have been the early 1940s. Anyway, my 12-year-old dad ordered a dog from the back of this magazine and paid for it with the money from his paper route. A few weeks went by, and then one day, there was a knock on the door of their two-family home in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, and a delivery guy dropped off a wooden crate with a live puppy inside. My grandparents were apparently quite surprised, but it must have been a cute puppy because they let my dad keep it. My dad would always tell us with great pride that he could put a treat on Trixie's nose and she would flip it up into the air and catch it in her mouth. After her terrifying journey in a hell box from God knows where to my dad's doorstep, I'm surprised Trixie did anything but cower in the corner. This was long, long before the days of doggy Prozac. Trixie and the other dogs of the pre-World War II era were made from tougher stuff. Drinking water out of muddy puddles and gobbling down cans of Alpo like it was filet mignon. Yeah, the trip here was a little rough, but uh, now they give me treats all the time. Plus, I can drink out of the toilet whenever I want. This place is easy, Street, I tell ya. Hang on, I got another treat on my nose. Apparently, not long after they got Trixie, the surprise dog, she fell from the second-story back porch and broke her leg. So then, my grandfather, who kinda didn't want the dog anyway, now had to pay for a vet to set this unwanted dog's broken leg. By the way, did I mention that at the time my grandfather was making his living as an ice cutter on Fresh Pond in Cambridge? No, not an ice sculptor making swans for fancy events. An ice cutter. Using a handsaw to cut the ice into huge sheets off the frozen pond and then loading them onto wagons. This was the only work he could find as World War II had yet to lift the U.S. out of the Depression. Can we just stop here for a moment and think about how hard that job must have been? Trudging out into the middle of a windy, frozen lake and cutting up ice with a handsaw? There's a farm museum in our town, and they have portraits of ice cutting being done in the early 1900s. Those blocks of ice were huge. But I digress. You ever see dogs that live a little too well? I was once poolside at the Four Seasons Hotel in Beverly Hills when I saw a West Coast fabulous hipster dude order a large bottle of Evian for his dog. When the elegant glass bottle arrived on a silver tray, without blinking, the movie star handsome pool waiter poured the no doubt absurdly expensive water into a shiny metal bowl. The dog, thirsty from lounging around in the hot Southern California sun, lapped up the artisanal water born deep in the French Alps with slobbery canine enthusiasm. Then he took a quick break and proceeded 
to give his furry dog butt an equally enthusiastic tongue bath. I always wondered if that guy thought that was money well spent on his doggie's Evian. Probably he didn't give it a second thought. I'll never forget heading out to a pet store on a random weekday night with my whole family to buy a hamster. After months of my sisters and I haranguing my parents, they had reluctantly agreed to get us one of those little wheel-running varmints. I don't know if this was pre-planned or not. I do know that my parents rarely did anything this spontaneous. But almost immediately after entering that pet store for a hamster, we were all looking at the puppies. And all of a sudden, we had zeroed in on a cute little miniature schnauzer puppy. She was on sale because she was sick. She had something called kennel cough. So the store wanted to get rid of her before she infected the other dogs. It turned out that unbeknownst to us kids, my dad had always wanted a miniature schnauzer. It was one of those mysterious aspirations my dad had. Like when he started carving birds out of wood the moment he retired. Dad, Dad, how long have you wanted to be a wood carver? What's next? Beekeeping? Needless to say, my sisters and I were all shocked and delighted when we piled back into the station wagon that night, along with our new, incessantly coughing, but still very cute, miniature schnauzer puppy on our laps. My mom named her in the car. She's a German breed, so she should have a German name. Heidi, one of my sisters suggested. It was the only German girl's name we knew, thanks to the TV movie of the same name. No, my mom said quickly, and a little bit inexplicably. What's wrong with Heidi? Where did these parents get their opinions? How about Gretel? Yes, Gretel, that is her name. And so it was, we grew up with a miniature schnauzer named Gretel. Or Boudreaux's Lady Gretel, as my mom wrote on her dog registration certificate. Like she was royalty being announced as she entered the doggy cotillion. When we first got Gretel, she pretty much ran away constantly. We'd open the door, and she'd take off like a rocket. My sisters would chase her across the lawn and through the woods. She seemed to always run to a pond back in the woods where we used to fish for catfish, which meant my sisters would come back muddy and exhausted from these mad dog dashes. My father always looked at us with great amusement when we'd chase after that dog. She'll come back when she's hungry he'd say, and then he'd go back to reading the Boston Globe. For some reason, I never joined the chase. Maybe I was too little, or too lazy, I I'm not sure which. But my sisters would chase that dog, like the German army going after Steve McQueen at the end of The Great Escape. They just wouldn't quit. I remember one time, my sister coming back from a particularly long chase and collapsing on the living room floor, muddied and bloodied from her ordeal. I just don't think I can take it anymore, she said dramatically. It's a game. She runs. You chase. She's playing, my dad said cynically. Then once again, he went back to reading the paper. My dad read the newspaper from cover to cover. So quite often his face was obscured by those newspaper pages. I remember being very little and literally believing that he could see through the newspaper. Hey, Dad, 
Hey, hey, Dad, hey, look what I made out of Legos. Isn't this cool? Oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, very good job, Wilfred. You can see it? Really? You can see it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it right there. Yeah, your Lego thing there, yeah. Also, it looks like this Watergate thing is really heating up. I never liked Nixon. One time, during the holiday season, my sisters were making gingerbread houses and left them out on our coffee table overnight, along with all the peppermint candies and frosting and the other sugary stuff that one uses to build a gingerbread house. Sometime that evening, our little 12-pound miniature schnauzer consumed every last morsel of those houses and all the bags of candy as well. We found her the next morning, standing next to the remains of the gingerbread and the candy wrappers and the lollipop sticks, shaking uncontrollably in a, in a kind of hypoglycemic seizure. Don't worry, she was okay. But she also had to spend some time with the vet. And my dad, although he didn't cut ice for a living, wasn't too happy. I've since realized that being not too happy is just part of what it means to be a dad. On any given day, I'm, I'm not too happy about the horrendous state of my kids' rooms, not happy about this room, or my inability to get the lawnmower started. I am not happy about this lawnmower, or the fact that somebody opened two milks. Who opened two milks? Dad, one of them's almond milk. All right, but I'm still not happy about this. Our current family dog is named Tilda. She's a beautiful Australian shepherd mix with one blue eye and one brown eye, like David Bowie. Tilda was discovered by my wife online at a rescue group in Alabama who takes dogs from high kill shelters. Tilda was described as friendly, but since we had so many young kids, my wife wanted to be sure. So, they sent us a video as proof of our future dog's good nature. What follows is the unedited audio of that video that we received from Alabama. Hi there. Hi here. So here's your dog. Uh, she's a pretty girl and she's very friendly. My assistant here, Carol, she's going to show you what a good girl she is. Now watch this now. Carol, Carol, go ahead. Pull on her ears. Pull on her ears, Carol. That's right. See, this is a good dog. She's a nice dog. Now, now Carol, now pull on her tail. That's right. Yank that tail, Carol. See, nothing. She is a good girl, this dog. Now, now open her mouth and pull on her lip. Yeah, pull on her lip real good, Carol. Very good, yeah. See, that's right. See, this dog, she is not fussy at all. Okay, now, Carol, now take that cattle prod and put it up that dog's butt. That's right. Get it all the way up there good. See, that is a good girl. This dog will be no trouble. No trouble at all. Don't worry, don't worry, the cattle prod thing never happened. That's just a tiny, a tiny little comedic exaggeration on my part. But the rest is 100% true. Tilda is a very good girl, and our four boys have tortured her far more than anything that occurred on that video. Prior to getting Tilda, we had a beautiful, mostly black German shepherd named Madeline. The story of Madeline and how she came to be a part of our family is a cautionary tale for excited young husbands everywhere. This is what happened. 
I got married, finally, when I was 38 years old. Not long after we were married, my wife and I bought a brownstone in Park Slope, Brooklyn. The closing kept getting delayed, and we didn't really wind up moving in until just prior to Thanksgiving. Because we were newlyweds, with a new home, we decided to host my mom and dad and two sisters and their families for Thanksgiving. Also, my wife's birthday is November 27th and always falls right around Thanksgiving weekend. So we were moving into a new house and about three days later, my whole family was coming for Thanksgiving. Oh, and did I mention my wife was pregnant? Yeah, at this point, she was feeling the full effects of being pregnant, including the classic unrelenting upchucking and the sensitivity to smells, you know, and the crippling fatigue. So, new house, new pregnant wife, eminent family visit. This sounds like an outstanding time for me to surprise my wife on her birthday with a German Shepherd puppy. You know, because whatever young pregnant wife wants to deal with while unpacking an entire house in anticipation of a stressful visit from her in-laws is an unhousebroken puppy. And that is the cautionary tale. If you're thinking of buying your wife a puppy as a surprise birthday present, young husbands of the world, stop for a moment and ask yourself the following questions. Is my wife pregnant? Did we just move into a new home? Are we about to host family for a major holiday? Would I like to stay married? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then I strongly suggest you not surprise your wife with a puppy on her birthday. Maybe consider a spa treatment or flowers or a bag of rocks. Pretty much anything but a puppy. You may survive this terrible decision, but like gum on your dorky dad sneakers... That stupid decision will stay with you for the rest of your marriage. 20 years later, you'll be arguing about whether or not to get a new TV. And your wife will say something like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, getting a giant new TV. That is a great idea. That's almost as great as getting a new puppy two days before Thanksgiving when I was pregnant and your whole family was coming to visit. And then you'll be stuck. Checkmated in the chess game of marriage and forced to say something like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, we, we won't get a 85-inch 4K plasma screen, but can we at least get surround sound speakers? Time now for a word from this week's fake sponsor. Purina Alpo dog food. That's right, Alpo, the antithesis of the kind of trendy, organic, woke dog food that you see everywhere these days. I'm particularly amused by the refrigerated dog food you see now in pet stores. They've got packages of ground meat that look better than the stuff I use to make my famous meatloaf. The secret ingredient is Lipton onion soup mix. Don't tell anybody. No, Purina Alpo is the real deal. It's a can of meat and gravy that makes every dog drool. Go ahead and open up a can of Alpo around a dog and see what happens. His ears will stand upright. His tail will start wagging. He'll start wiggling his little doggy butt back and forth faster than, than uh, Glenn Close at the Oscars. Here's how good it is. I'm going to open up a can of Alpo Prime Cuts Beef and Gravy 
and we'll see if any dogs in the area react. I'm now wafting the delicious Alpo beef and gravy aroma out of the window in my studio. And sure enough, doggies in the neighborhood are suddenly heading this way. Come and get it, boys. This is some delicious Alpo, all for you. <laughs> well, I had no idea there were so many dogs in the neighborhood. Oh boy, and they look hungry. And, um, and they look kind of hungry. Okay, okay guys, take it easy. I've got more. Okay, that was my finger. Okay, feeling anxious. Okay, enough of that experiment. Just remember, Alpo's got the taste that brings dogs running. Sometimes, quite a few dogs. And if you like this fake ad, Alpo, feel free to make it a real one. As we approach the holiday weekend, I'm reminded of my illustrious career in advertising, and I can't help but think about the most memorable Memorial Day ad I've ever created. Because it was kind of a disaster. It all started when I was outside of our brownstone, loading up our minivan with the million and one items you need for a weekend at the beach with four young sons, when my tiny little Nokia phone rang. Uh, uh did, did we just go on national television and, and say Memorial Day is all about barbecues and having fun? Barked the stressed out account guy on the other end. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Why do you ask? I replied innocently as I tried to find room for the swim shoes and the swim shirts and, and the extra-large pack of swim diapers. Oh, just because our client's senior leadership is getting hate emails from veterans groups across the country. Oh boy, I said, with a sudden sinking feeling that I was definitely not going to beat the traffic on the Long Island Expressway after all. Yeah, that happened. We shot a commercial where the happy dad, standing in a big box home improvement grill department, said the words, Memorial Day, it's all about barbecues and having fun with friends. Oops. A small turn of phrase that turned out to be gigantically offensive. And this was long before the cancel culture frenzy of today. We meant no disrespect. It was completely inadvertent, and it was always on the script that way. So everyone, all the way up and down the gigantic approval chain, approved that line. We all missed it. And we all felt really stupid for missing it. Memorial Day has always been a kind of somber holiday, oddly placed at the beginning of the sunshiny, happy days of summer. When I was a kid, every Memorial Day, my parents would drag us to go visit the graves of my grandparents. We'd get dressed up in our itchy church clothes and drive to two different graveyards, one for my dad's mom and one for my mom's dad, and put flowers on the graves of people I had never met. It was never my favorite holiday for this reason. But I guess that's what the original intent of Memorial Day was to remember those who've passed, either our family or our country's fallen heroes. Over the years, that purpose has become eclipsed by the marketing opportunity the day represents because of its placement in the calendar as the unofficial start of summer. What got me thinking about this was I, I recently created a Memorial Day weekend ad for a very 
2021 post-pandemic product, a no-contact thermometer. In order to cook your ribs to the proper delicious meat-falling-off-the-bone temperature, you might ask? No, not for your ribs, for your guests. The idea is you can feel better about gathering together this Memorial Day if you can screen everyone around the picnic table to see if they're running a fever. When did anyone ever think that a no-contact thermometer would be required equipment for your Memorial Day barbecue? It sounds like a scene from a dystopian sci-fi story. This made me feel a strangely conflicted combination of sad and glad. Sad that it's come to this, temp-taking to feel safe in our own backyards, and glad that we are starting to return to the kind of normal events that we used to completely take for granted, like gathering together on Memorial Day. This Memorial Day weekend, my completely vaccinated wife and I will be celebrating with our dog, Tilda, and our kids, and maybe a few friends from the neighborhood eating hot dogs around the grill we purchased on sale from a big box store like the patriotic Americans we all are. I think we'll all feel a, a little bit more grateful to be together this year. And I know we'll all be silently thinking of the ones who aren't there with us. The shocking total number of Americans lost that we see climbing ever higher while this pandemic rages on. We'll remember them. Maybe we'll even imagine ourselves putting a flower or two on the graves of, of these people we've mostly never met. It's the happy, somber truth of what Memorial Day is all about. I think after this year, after the perspective we've all gotten, we're not going to forget that again. That's all for this week's episode of The Many Meanderings of the First Gen X Man. I'd like to thank you all very much for listening and welcome you to our exciting Season 2. Please tell your friends, Gen X and otherwise, and look for more episodes much more frequently now, I promise. If you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. And if you really, really like it, write a review and I'll I'll give you a shout-out on our next episode. I'd like to thank this week's fake sponsor, Purina Alpo Dog Food, the dog food that gets dogs, sometimes many dogs, running. And as always, enormous thanks to Watt White for our show's theme music. Many Meanderings of the First Gen X Man is written and produced by me. I'm Will Boudreau, and I'll see you when we meander again. The many meanderings of the first Gen X man. Excellent.